Hi, I'm Jackie Jones and welcome to my podcast, Living Life Being Human, the number one podcast for anxiety, stress and mental health support. Don't forget to click subscribe to be notified of my latest podcast episodes. And if you get any value from this podcast, please support me by leaving a review. It really does help me out and it motivates me to keep making these podcasts. You can connect with me on social media at Jackie Jones Coaching and subscribe to my YouTube channel to get weekly videos all around anxiety, stress and mental health. I hope you enjoy this episode. Talking about mental health with Jackie Jones. So hello and welcome and um, I'm having a chat today with Jackie Jones from Jackie Jones Psychotherapy and Coaching and we're gonna have a quick talk about generally about mental health, what it is and essentially just to have the benefit of some of Jackie's wisdom and experience over um, how she finds uh, working with people um, who may have mental health difficulties and supporting them and get the benefit of her experience and uh, Jackie um, besides running um, Jackie Jones Psychotherapy and Coaching she's done a lot of online courses for our platform and for her own platform which you can find at JackieJones.co.uk and she also is the co-founder of Parent Plus is that correct? Yes yeah, yeah. and um, so yeah you can look her up um, after this on we have the links for you at the bottom and um, if there's anything that sort of affects you or makes you wonder or you want to know more about uh, the information will be there. So welcome Jackie. Hello, nice to be here. Thank you for having me. So just for you to, to kick off, um, it's, you know, we're, we're, this has been recorded now during the time of uh, COVID-19 uh, epidemic and, um, you know, for the benefit of the future people looking back, because I'd be thinking, wow, you lucky sods, you don't know what's coming towards you, or looking back <laughs> saying, wow, that was horrible. Um, you know, it's been on a lot of people's minds is mental health and it's been bandied about a lot. But generally, just so we have a level set, how would you personally like describe or define mental health yourself? Mental health is something that we, we all have. I think um, Sydney Banks had a lovely quote, something about we're all, as human beings, we're all in the middle of mental health. And it ebbs and flows. Sometimes our mental health is in a good place and sometimes it's not in a good place. But that's part of being a human being. I, I wouldn't say I don't like, but when people talk about mental health issues or mental illness, it, it puts a negative slant on it. I think the important thing is that as human beings, we all have mental health, just like we have physical health. You can break a leg or have a cold and your physical health will be impacted. Same as you can struggle sometimes with anxiety, stress and overwhelm and it will impact your mental health. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you haven't got an appropriate level of mental health. It's always there. It's part of who we are. Okay. So what would you think, um, you said you didn't like to sort of hear the words like issues around mental health and mental health issues, but um, like what are you finding coming up in your day-to-day at this moment in time? that people might be coming to you about you know, with regards to their mental health being you know, not so good or as good as normal for them. Uh, is there any sort of recurring things you're finding? Yeah, I think because we are in the midst of a global pandemic and at the moment we're kind of just coming out of lockdown. So we've been at home for 12 weeks now. The children have been out of school. 
So there's been a lot of stress and overwhelm around normal living or what has become the norm over the past 12 weeks. So relationship issues, you know, the husband and wife maybe be at home, they're on furlough, they're not going out to work. So it's, it's unprecedented times and there's lots of changes that have happened. That along with anxiety, um, all the unknowns, the what ifs. I think as human beings, we like to be in control of our environment. And unfortunately, this has just proven 100% that we're not in control. And that, that can be really unsettling for some people. Um, like, is there any sort of, uh, you know, tips or techniques that, you know, you'd normally recommend to people who would be finding either the anxiety or the difficulties coming out down to like the, the lockdown for the last number of weeks? So is there something that it works, has worked for you or that you find, you know, maybe it doesn't work for people, it works for other people, and who they are, what you'd suggest? Yeah. One of the things I often talk to people about is our state of mind, which again is something that as human beings we all have. And if you imagine an escalator that is just travelling up and down constantly, we go up one, we come down the other. That's kind of like our, our state of mind. And it fluctuates moment to moment, hour to hour, day to day. So being in the midst of this pandemic, we can be absolutely fine with it. It's not really impacting on us. And we're going about our normal business to a certain extent. And then something will happen and our state of mind drops a little. So we start to question, well, what if, what if this lasts longer than it is doing? What if somebody I know gets ill? What if my children go to school and they catch something and bring it home? What if, what if? And that can put our state of mind in a less healthy place, let's say. And it's about knowing that you will get back on that escalator and come back up. It's not that we stay at the bottom of the escalator for you know the rest of our life normal human emotions ebb and flow and and that's that's just how it is so once we know that once the magic has been took out of you know mental health and everything it becomes easier to cope with so i would say just be curious and not critical it's okay to not be able to cope sometimes that that doesn't mean that we're not coping all of the time we tend to have very black and white thinking when we're not in a good frame of mind either I'm a brilliant parent or I'm a rubbish parent I'm a fantastic partner or I'm a rubbish partner but there's a huge grey area in the middle so it's just about exploring that just be curious about where you are and maybe what's impacting on you and it all comes from our thoughts a hundred percent of the time our feelings come from our thoughts so thoughts about the pandemic thoughts about our children thoughts about our relationship and what create our feelings so that would be one piece of advice that i would give just just be curious and um is how do you find uh, or you know what other ways can you sort of you know help control your thoughts or you know being curious is you can't <laughs> that's the thing we can, it, it, thought is a thought it's it has no form it has no edges to it if that makes sense until we give it energy. So to have a thought, I love chocolate ice cream and I'm feeling really anxious are exactly the same. We just give more energy to one than what we do the other. So I'm hungry, I'm gonna have a biscuit, kind of comes in one end and goes out the other and we don't pay much attention. 
if I've got to go shopping and I start to feel worried about that, then I hang on to that thought and it sticks around for a lot longer. And I might put another thought on top of it. What if I've got to queue up outside? What if when I get in, somebody walks close to me? What if, what if? So we kind of make it into this whole story and scenario. Okay. So it's like the, like a runaway train whereby it just sort of starts building momentum. Exactly. exactly. And using that, that, you know scenario of a runaway train we can get off that train we can wait for a better train we can get off at the station and just wait for another one to come because that's how thought works if we're having a crappy one just wait for the next one and it will come along and one of the things i say is about it's about being comfortable in an uncomfortable feeling and that's really difficult if, if you're somebody that suffers from stress and overwhelm and anxiety for me to sit here and say just be comfortable in it is a horrendous thing if somebody said that to me when i'm in the midst of a panic attack or a period of anxiety yeah i, I dread to think what i would actually say to them <laughs> yeah so, so like if you're buried in a snowdrift and somebody says to you just you know just sit there and get comfortable with it don't worry about freezing to death it's you know. just wait it out it'll be fine yeah. it'll, it'll fall in the morning yeah exactly exactly our default as human beings is to be okay that we will always return back to that base it just isn't a pleasant feeling when we're not at base camp, if that makes sense. So what do you, what's your best advice or what do you, or what do you do yourself? Apologies about the dog. Um, <laughs> when um, you find yourself either, you know, on the runaway train or the sort of middle of our world, how do you get back to base camp, so to speak, yourself? I think it's about knowing how you react as a person to certain things. I know when I'm stressed and overwhelmed, I do things. That that's that's come from a lot of personal therapy that I know that's that's my process. So if I'm stressed and overwhelmed, I might start redecorating or moving furniture or cleaning the floors. It's not that my house is untidy, but sometimes I clean it more than others because I'm stressed and overwhelmed. So one, it's about noticing any changes that you have around avoiding certain things, if, if that makes sense. And then you have a choice. Um, when this pandemic first started, I had Sky News on 24 hours a day. And I noticed I was having waves of anxiety purely because I was absorbing so much information about how bad this was, how widespread it was, how long it's going to, all this information. So I just withdrew. I, I check in once a day and see if there's anything I need to do. So it's about being aware of how you're impacted by the amount of information that you're gathering. People that suffer from anxiety often Google everything about anxiety. We kind of overwhelm ourselves with all this information. And Googling anything not, medically is not a very good idea anyway. The best no, no, most of it ends up terminal and I'm not making light of that, but I can make myself feel worse just by having too much information. And I know you've, you've done some things around mindfulness, but our brains aren't designed to have so much information you know it's still working like it did in caveman days where we didn't know what the tribe over the hill was actually doing we didn't need to know so it's it's inundated with so much information now we can't process it all and the other thing our brain has to has to compartmentalize things it has to have a way of keeping all that information in our brains so it tends to group things together this is 
periods and times when I need to be anxious, but it puts all the stuff in that box that doesn't need to be in there. If I felt anxious going shopping last week, that's putting the anxiety box. So next time I go shopping, my brain triggers part of me that says, oh, we're going shopping, we need to panic. Well, no, we don't. So it's doing the best that it can, but it's, it's not that good at what it does, if that makes sense. So it's sort of like um, the brain is a, uh, a machine, a factory, and it's just processing stuff. But when it gets too much, it all clogs up and it yeah. all messes up that way. Yeah, so. exactly. But knowing that's how it works for me was, was quite a, a, a useful piece of information that my brain is trying to protect me. When I get anxious, when it triggers my anxiety, it's doing what it thinks it needs to do in order to protect me. I just don't always need protecting against normal everyday occurrences, if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. So it's essentially just, I could say, hangover from our sort of prehistoric Stone Age days, where you know we had to. And it probably does make sense because we're pattern recognition is what kept us going and keeps us surviving generation to generation. So it's natural you'll see. You know, if you've been chased by a saber-toothed tiger, you don't have the moment to think. Is that a saber-toothed tiger or some nice woolly saber-toothed rabbit? It's like, yeah, run. Yeah. You don't wait to find out. And the other thing, going back to the caveman days and everything, it was our survival that we noticed the negatives. We didn't need to look at the positives because that wouldn't keep us alive. And I think that's a hangover from the past as well, that we're so good at noticing negative stuff. If I've asked my son to tidy his bedroom, I know I can walk in and I can point out everything he hasn't done <laughs> as opposed to all the good things that he has done. That's, that's, that's part of being a human being as well. And that takes some training to get out of, to, to be grateful, to, you know, to have gratitude and compassion for people because it's easier for us to be negative about stuff. So what you're basically saying is all the people who were naturally disposed to being happy and cheerful um, never evolved. They're all, they're all eaten by saber-toothed tigers while admiring the sunset. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I would love to be one of those people that just wanders up and down the fields looking at butterflies, but it wouldn't have kept me alive. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And um, just, you know, if there's, um, it's like somebody watching this now and they're sort of on Facebook or whatever, and they're just scrolling through and this has caught their attention. Um, there's only really two reasons why people will pause something in a social media feed these days. It's because it grabs their attention either to directly relate to themselves or somebody they care about. So yeah, yeah. you've sort of covered a little bit about, you know, how you can, well, don't use word control. I was about to say the word control can <laughs> help cope with it with yourself and become aware of it. But what if the person doing this now has stopped scrolling because they're worried about somebody close to them, either a, you know, a relative might be cocooning or coming out of it or a child or like what's, is there any sort of warning signs that, because you, 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 you know that you know yourself that when people are having difficulty, the ones who really are having difficulty usually say, I'm grand, I'm fine. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. What, is there any sort of warning signs or things to watch out for? Or will that just be people bonkers? <laughs> no, I think if it's somebody that we live with or somebody that we were used to being around, we will notice changes in their behaviour. When, when we're used to people, we know what their baseline is. So it's about looking at any changes in behaviour because often we express what we're going 
through through our behavior we might become short-tempered we might not be sleeping so well we might go off our food um, if we're normally outgoing and gregarious we can kind of withdraw and become more internalized and self-absorbed so that would be the first thing is to just look at look at if anything's changed with that person that can be a bit of a, a sign not necessarily that things are, are going on but it's an opening sometimes for a conversation the other thing that people sometimes say to me is that if I talk about anxiety, it's going to remind an anxious person that they're anxious. <laughs> that isn't going to happen. I think the more we talk about mental health, we talk about depression, we talk about overwhelm and worry and anxiety, it normalizes that behavior because it is part of being a human being. There will be times where we're not feeling that well. And having the conversation with somebody and normalizing it allows them to feel more comfortable talking about it. So if you, you're a parent of an anxious child, sometimes we want to avoid the anxiety, especially if they're having a good day, whereas that's the exact time that we should be talking about it. When, it, when somebody's anxious, it's all emotional. They're not thinking logically. The brain is kind of shut down because they've gone into fight and flight mode. So you can't have a conversation with them about how they're feeling, what do you need me to do, but you can afterwards. You know, if, if, when you're feeling anxious and you're feeling really fearful, what is it that you want me to do? How can I help you? You know, is there anything that I can do that's going to support you through it? And often it's just being alongside them. They don't want you to fix them. <laughs> they just need you to know what they're going through and support them in their journey, if that makes sense. What do you do with the with the, just for the topic of a young child? Just thinking of some kids I've known that age, where you know when you but ask them on a good day, you know what can you do? And the answer is nothing. You know, a sort of Sahara <laughs> from Gone with the Wind, like drama. It's like a, I'm going to yeah. be sad forever. You know, <laughs> and I need that. You know, maybe the case of like a bit of four year old or five year old's personality, yeah. but um, you know, it, it's it's gonna be very hard if you don't have the vocabulary. To recognize, you know, and I know from some of the clinical team that when they're trying to work with very young kids, the they spend a lot of time giving them the words to express, you know, the, the pain or this is sore, etc., whatever. Yeah. Um, like, how do you do that with a, a young child in something as complex as, you know, their mental health or their emotional state to recognize when, you know, because it's hard for adults. It is, it is. And again, it's about being curious. One of the things I say when parents and children come to me is for the parents to get to know themselves and get to know how they feel in certain situations. Emotions can be really complex and get mixed up. Feeling excited starts off very similar to anxiety, only one's excitement and one's anxious. So it's about you know, when I'm, I'm packing my suitcase, getting ready for going on holiday, and I can feel that excitement building in my stomach, talk about that fizzing, talk about that butterflies, talk about the feelings that are going on, give it a colour. You know, you, you might say, I've got wobbles in my stomach. To a child, that would make sense. Whereas if you're saying, I'm starting to feel anxious, what well, I ain't got a clue what anxiety means. So, but if you can talk openly about what you're feeling, then they can start to. It might be that children that are anxious have headaches. It might be that they get stomach pains. It might be that they get an upset stomach and need to, the, to go to the toilet a lot. It's, it's about just normalising changes. If you're doing exercise, 
get them to notice that the heart rate speeds up when they're exercising get them to put the hand on the heart and feel it calming down that can be something that when a child's anxious or overwhelmed they can start to notice the changes in the body so it's it's just about us knowing what happens for us that we can then kind of connect with a child give it a color give it a you know give it a name people sometimes talk about the anxiety monster which i'm not i'm not 100 percent swayed on that one because i would much rather children be friends with their anxiety it's it's going to be with them forever we cannot get rid of anxiety it's a human survival mechanism yeah so we're, it's we're monkeys kind of, with anxiety basically is what i heard exactly it's about thanking it for doing what it needs to do but just kind of saying you don't need to bother i'm okay it's going to keep popping up and down every so often but we can just thank it for doing what it does but kind of say to it not right now i don't need you so you know make up stories about how you felt when your first day at school it doesn't need to be specifically around mental health it can be more about thoughts feelings and behaviors it's more like sort of um, leading by example than sort of telling what to do. Because yeah. I, I've noticed a lot of, um, there's all the topic of like children and mental health that a lot of schools and classes are now really like either for good or for not so good motivations. They're getting into like sort of whole health, well-being, etc. And they're bringing things like mindfulness, yoga, etc. You know, sometimes whether the teacher or the children want it or not. And what they do is there's all this homework going home for parents. And I remember having a conversation myself um, last year, year before last, with a principal in a school um, who was basically saying we're doing all these great, wonderful things and the parents can get involved and help. And I was asking, well, how are you supporting the parents? Because you send home, like I think it's probably the first challenge that teachers have had since maybe the mid 50s or 60s where they have to teach the children something the parents don't innately know. So if you remember after the Second World War in that way, when they started bringing the um, NHS over there in, in the UK and the sort of the reformat of how education works, a lot of times teachers sent home handwriting to parents who would not be literate. So right. the kids would be learning something that the parents could not support, but the teachers adapted how they, you know, they knew their support wouldn't be at home. But now it's normal if you're doing mathematics, even something like algebra, you know, this goes home and the parents, for the most part, you know, barring very small number of exceptions, can find a way to help them. It's the same thing for history, geography, whatever. And mental health and uh, those things have been sent home for homework in the same way. But it's back to 1950s, 60s again. I never was never taught in school how to think about it and do it. It's completely no. So you, and they either won't support them or they'll do their best with no guidance and maybe get it right or maybe get it wrong or maybe do things worse. So what would you say to, you know, uh, like how would you, what, what would you suggest or how do you help parents in that situation when they have like the best will in the world, these things that's been empowered by the school system to help their children? with mental health and you know mindfulness well-being good eating all that sort of good stuff but you don't know what to do yourself like is it just a case if you don't know what to do you leave it be or would you suggest that you try your best you know hope for the best how would you how would you then to do support it or approach it 
I think a lot of it is about being creative and not being frightened of getting it wrong. Kids are wonderful at learning things at school and coming home and teaching us parents what it's all about. Do you know what I mean? If if my son learnt something in primary school and came home and I said something that was different to what he'd been taught, he'd be like, no, 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 that's not what it is, it's this. So it's a, a wonderful opportunity for us to learn this together. Yes, we've got our own thoughts around mental health and well-being, and I'm sure the children are being taught something in school. So again, it's about communicating, open forms of communicating, and, and mindfulness is really good. You, you can do mindfulness eating. I love the fact that while everybody sat around eating dinner, you can introduce mindfulness. Just take a minute to chew whatever is in your mouth and really notice the taste and the texture. If we do that every day, three times a day, every meal that we have, we've started to introduce mindfulness. So it's not about making it into a massive topic that we need to study and teach. It's just introducing it slowly. And then it becomes part of our everyday life. It's like a bolt-on. Somebody once said to me about, you know, just notice your breathing. We do it all the time. If we don't, we're not here. So every time your phone rings before you answer it, every time you get a text, just take a really deep breath before you look at that text. And you've done mindfulness. And if you do that every time your phone dings, you'll probably do an hour of mindfulness a day without even putting the effort in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for space on the phone dinging, yes, absolutely. <laughs> I, I'm, I don't know whether I'm quite lazy and I openly admit that but if it's hard work I know I'm not going to wholeheartedly do it but if I can bolt it onto something that I'm already doing as a matter of course it's more likely to get into my normal routine if that makes sense. So, so, so it's a case of like trying to um, approach it like something you do it like multiple times a day like either tying your shoes or brushing your teeth or cleaning your teeth exactly yeah yeah so, but it's just it's, it's as normal and natural as doing those things okay yeah i'm talking about mental health needs to be normal and natural and something that we always do you know when the kids come home from school the, the question i always used to ask them is what have you done at school today you know get them to tell you three good things that have happened you know and how did that make you feel start using words around feelings and emotions and being empathic oh god i can't imagine what that must have felt like for you did you feel really angry and just talking about things just introduces it you don't need to have a topic and a heading and lesson plans just just wing it we're all winging it yeah i i, I remember trying the uh, three good things that happened in school today and it usually was little break big break and leaving school love it <laughs> That was it. <laughs> and, and that's probably a hundred percent true. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Did anything could happen? No. What was the Nothing bad thing? Going into school. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. But again, it's about getting kids to focus. Do you know what I mean? I have no doubts that if you continue to do that and you say three good things that happen to you, they will get used to what what is this? You know, dad's throwing something new at us and I've no idea what he's on about. My kids used to hate it when I went on training courses because they knew when I came home, I was <laughs> going to suddenly start introducing all this different stuff to them. But yeah, I, I just got used to doing it and they got used to me doing it too. So would, um, just, to, on a, just to link it back to what you said a second ago, would um, consistency then be the, 
like the the glue that sort of makes it work because you know it's sort of it's easy to bake something in but if you're trying this thing for a few days this week and this thing for a few days next week and because you know if there's a program going on at school and they'll usually have these little focuses for this week and that week and you go with that it's not consistent by its nature so yeah. you know would your suggestion be to just pick one or two things and just run with it and then go that way or to be to try and uh you know be a bit more structured with how because i know you said winging it was the way yeah i wing it that's that's my phrase for everything i i wouldn't say that there's a right or a wrong a wrong a wrong way to do this one it depends how your children respond to it some kids will pick it up and run with it and they'll come to you and remind you we haven't done mindfulness today we didn't do mindfulness eating which is brilliant the other thing is i don't want to encourage people to take on more work if they're feeling overwhelmed themselves so it's it's okay to not do it every day it's okay for you to drop it when you're not in a good place and don't be too judgmental and critical about yourself because that's not going to help anybody um so yeah i don't think there are any hard and fast rules life gets in the way sometimes we have the best of intentions um, doing a, a, a gratitude journal is quite good for some children, depending on what age they are. They can draw a picture or, or write things down and it just gets the frame of mind into a more positive mindset, a growth mindset. They can look back on it and think Monday was pretty rubbish, but Tuesday was fantastic. I got top marks at school and my best friend was there and we went playing together. So it's just getting them to see that things ebb and flow. And I suppose that the, probably the hardest thing is to take the non-judgmental part back. Because I, I know just from a, a gratitude journal point of view, you know, if, if the kid's got less than ideal writing, your first step is like, that doesn't look like a C, it looks like a G. And then suddenly you're out of the frame of... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bring you, it's yeah. that negativity again. It's that noticing all the negative stuff. Mm. You know, for some kids, the fact that they've picked up a pencil takes so much effort it, it's not always about the outcome. It's not always about the result. It's about the effort that we put in in order to get to where we are, if that makes sense. So, and the other thing I always say to parents, which sometimes they look at me a bit weird, is that we can praise our children for the things they're not doing as well as the things they are. So if you've got a child that expresses anxiety or overwhelm through behavior and they might stomp around the house and pick up a few things and throw them, we can praise a child for not throwing something, you know, by saying things like, I can see that you're feeling really, you know, anxious at the moment and your emotions are overflowing and you've not thrown anything. That's absolutely brilliant. You're not going to remind them to pick something up and throw it. Yeah, you so just sometimes it's about just tweaking and doing things what they least expect in that moment. Finally, is there anything that you, um, you know, you think generally that you would sort of, you know, give as a parting message to anybody listening to this as to, you know, if they've been thinking about what you've been talking about or, you know, it's something that's maybe affecting themselves or a family member, where would you think they should, you know, pop onto the next or what would they, you suggest that they do after listening to this um, is the first or second thing to do is like go off and do a course somewhere, read a book, or even just take 10 seconds and just, <laughs> live just chill and be you know what what sort of 
What would be the all of the above? <laughs> Again, it depends what sort of person you are. I'm I'm a logical person. I like information. So I know if I'd sat and listened to something like this, I would have replayed it and gone back and studied it and looked for things that I could Google and learn about. If that's who you are, then that's fine to do it. If you're a person that just wants to scroll on Facebook and find little snippets, then that's okay to do as well. We're all unique and different people. Some people like learning lots of information. Other people just like dipping in and out. Again, it's about being curious who you are and what works for you. So yes, there are some fantastic courses out there. There's lots of free things at the moment, especially around mindfulness. You can download mindful apps. Um, I think Headspace is quite a good one. There's lots of things available for children, but just don't get hung up on having to get it right and having to be perfect at mental health. And we get scored and we graduate and yes, everything's fine. That's not how it works. It's just about understanding that being a human being means that our emotions and feelings ebb and flow and it will pass. Yeah, so so I'm not sure if that answered the question. Yeah. Well, I sort of don't beat yourself up about it if, it's, if things don't work. Yes. Yeah, yeah. We will all come out the other side of, of this. However, things might be different. We might feel different, but we will come out the other side. Um, and we do the best that we can with what we've got available in this moment. If I look back 12 months ago, how I was and, and the knowledge that I had, it was completely different to how I am now. I sometimes think that with people that are authors and write books, you know, that, that we're all reading now that was written 20 years ago, that person will have completely changed yeah, from who they were when they wrote that book 20 years ago. And that's okay. That, that's, that's what we do. Okay, well, thank you very much for your time, Becky. That's been very... It's been brilliant. I hope, uh, hope everybody listening has found it useful. And um, yeah, we'll see you again soon. Thank you very much. If we let ourselves live in the moment now